Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, hello, church family. Uh, Super thankful that you're here. Thanks for those of you that are part of our online family, too. It's a real treasure having you just be a part of the big picture, too, of what God's doing here. Some just uh, in the state scattered across, maybe taking a vacation, but then there's tons of you online and other states that uh, are a part every single week, so we're super thankful for you guys, and uh, we're wrapping up a series this weekend called Find Hope Here, and you can always go back and catch up if you miss them. Uh, Pastor John laid the track for it. The opening weeks is super, super powerful, and uh, so if Hope is something that you could see more room for God to cultivate a sense of hope in you and uh, how it grows and understanding of where we find the hope and how hope works itself out in us, then uh, double back and uh, take use of this resource we've got to revisit God's word online and on video. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast just a couple of weeks ago, and during the course of the podcast, they were talking back and forth, and, and one of them brought up something called text neck. Wasn't familiar with text neck, but it sounded scary. It sounded gross, actually. And so I did a little research on what, what is text neck. Uh, do I have text neck? Do my loved ones have text neck? What is it? It turns out this is a real thing. There is now something called text neck syndrome. And uh, if you don't have it now, you're going to have it in the next five minutes. Um, we're all gonna get it. Basically, what happens is we are spending so much time in this position, phone in hand, uh, reading text, texting people back, our head angled downward that it is now applying new and odd and weird pressures to your neck, to your shoulders, to your back. And uh, the, the crazy part is, and I got fascinated by it, so I did some research on text neck syndrome at WebMD and spinalwellness.com and a whole bunch of other things that I'll bore you with for a couple of seconds. Um, what happens with text neck syndrome is this. Now, when you're standing upright, most of us, our heads weigh between 10 and 12 pounds when you're standing upright. Now, some of you it might be more than that, depending on your ego, but... Um, <laughs> The rest of us, 10 to 12 pounds when we're standing upright. When you tilt your head just 15 degrees forward, your, ha your head now weighs the equivalent of 27 pounds. So now suddenly it's like a 27-pound bowling ball hanging off the end of your neck at just 15 degrees. And you get all the way to 60 degrees, not 90, but 60 degrees and your head weighs the equivalent of 60 pounds. And you can see over prolonged use in that direction why it would begin to affect your neck, why it would begin to affect your shoulders and your back, and then all sorts of other things that are tied in that direction. And I started thinking it's very similar 
for you and I when we have a strong weight to our soul that is causing our soul to kind of be downcast, our soul to hang at a certain angle. It it produces some ill effects to other parts of us, mind, body, soul, and spirit, which is again why for us to have a really strong handle on hope, for us to really understand where God is in the midst of hope, why he can provide hope for us is key because otherwise we're stuck in the despair, in the affliction, in the challenge, in the hardship, and the weight that we carry is going to have catastrophic effects if we just continue to walk around hopeless, if we continue to carry that weight. I can't, I can't stand when, when Christians are really quick with the cliches, you know? When, when we get into hardships and challenges and difficulties, it's usually out of a good heart. We come alongside a friend or family member or loved one or whatever, and we want to encourage them. We want to help them out. But can I just suggest that maybe the cliches, or even, even though the cliches are often rooted in some truth, there is a seed of, of them being true. The timing and the manner that we share these things isn't always helpful. You know, if I've just lost someone, or I'm really wrestling through something catastrophic. And if somebody comes up to me and says, God's gonna use it for good, brother. I just wanna smack you in the face. That's the only (laughs) initial impulse that I have. Now, can God work good out of this hardship? You bet. But is that the thing that I really want to hear at the time? Is that what I need to hear at the time? Not always. And I'm a particular attuned to that. As we've been talking for a few weeks about hope, I know that there is significant weight that some of you carry. I've heard stories in the last couple of weeks about some of you, you don't even know, like literally, if you've got more than a couple months to live and you don't know if God's gonna break through with some miraculous healing. I know some of you have lost a marriage. I know some of you are facing some conflict at work. There are others of you that have like a really, really like bleak financial situation. Some of it's this like ongoing relational friction and tension and all of that is such a weight that is causing you to be downcast and the ripple affects mind, body, soul, and spirit to a downcast soul are really significant. And that's why I like this particular psalm from the word of God, because while there's a line in here, there's a a call in here for you and I to have hope that otherwise might sound a bit cliche, it actually starts with something very honest. The psalmist writes from a very, like really aware of the human condition and the challenges we face and why hope isn't always like immediately accessible. The psalmist gets it. If you've got your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Psalm 42. And that's this Psalm. Now, quick little Bible stuff on this. Uh, A lot of Hebrew manuscripts, the original manuscripts, actually linked Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 as one Psalm. 
Uh, if you read through Psalm 42 and continue right through Psalm 43, you, you do find that they kind of dovetail together and it really, you could see why they originally probably one, even though they end up as two in our particular Bible. And if you don't mind one other quick little Bible uh, word here, when, when you look at this, this is a poem. And when, when we read the word of God and try to interpret and study the word of God, um, there are different rules of study and interpretation depending on what type of Bible literature you're reading. And that kind of makes sense, right? Because some of the books of the Bible are history. Some of the books of the Bible are letters written to each other. Some of the books of the Bible are here, like we're looking at our poetry. And so I don't, I don't read the newspaper the same way that I read lyrics from a song, right? You understand that there's differences, but that helps you. And, and God's beauty in the poetry, the musicality of the Psalms, are really important when it comes to us having a conversation about hope, us having a conversation about despair. Because how many songs do you hear that, that are filled with the struggles of life and, and there's something that they hit your heart different when it's artistic in nature, right? And then some of the hope that can come from art, including music or poetry or whatever, hits on a different note for us too. And it's, it's equally as important. But there's a rhythm. Just like a song or like a poem, there's a, there's a rhythm to Psalm 42 and 43. And here's the rhythm. There is a lament followed by a hope, a reason for hope or a call to hope, followed by another lament which is followed by another reason for hope, which is followed by another lament, which is followed by a reason for hope. And, and I like that because this, this rhythm of lament, hope, occurs four times between Psalm 42 and 43. And isn't that kind of the rhythm of our like day-to-day -day life anyway, our week-to-week -week life anyway? Plenty of stuff to lament easy to lament all the hurts and the hardships and the tensions in this broken down, beat up world. It's actually very important to lament and allow ourselves to lament and not just ignore it. But then there's also always a reason for hope. There's also always an answer of hope, a, a way to put our hope in God. And so it's art imitating life and vice versa here in this psalm. And let me read the first couple of verses to you because what he does at the beginning, diagnosing like the reasons for hardship and despair, hopelessness right off the bat, it's so honest. Verse one, as the deer pants for streams of water. Why would a deer be panting for water? Why would any animal pant? Well, it's, you pant when you're thirsty. And when you've got a legitimate need for water, then you get thirsty and then the solution is get water, right? And so it is for the deer. Then, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet? with God. The psalmist poses a question, when can I go and meet with God? And, and we discover that the psalmist is, is away from Jerusalem 
and unable to get back to Jerusalem to worship God. There's distance between him and God, distance between him and the people of God, distance between the psalmist and the worship, the corporate worship that they were really desiring. And we don't know maybe if that was just because of a trip or maybe this was written during a season where they were in exile and could not get back to the temple. Regardless, there's cause for lament because he's got distance between him and the worship of God amongst the people of God. Verse three, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? And I'll tell you, that's an insult to injury sort of thing, isn't it? When you and I face challenges and struggles, when you're already hurting and then someone comes in and speaks discouragement over you, this is like the worst. I mean, in and of itself, discouraging words spoken to you, about you behind your back, uh, over you, none of us likes that. That can start the struggles, but when you're in the struggle and then more discouraging words are spoken, then that drops, drains the hope bucket very quickly. And there's a little bit of that going on. Where is your God? More discouragement. Verse four, these things I remember, so now memories, as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Now, this particular memory is actually a good memory about the way things used to be but compared to how he's got it now, the contrast between how good it used to be and how it is now, that sort of memory, even a good memory, turns into something that's kind of painful and another opportunity for hope to diminish. If you're jotting notes down, I mean, what the psalmist diagnosed here is a handful of ways that hope gets drained from me and you. There's dozens and dozens of more, but the ones that he lists here, when you've got legitimate needs that are going unmet, hope might be lacking. When you've got a sense of distance between you and God, and you just, you, you can't pinpoint it, you can't really remember the last time you've like sensed him really close, maybe it's that sort of distance, you've had no mountaintop experience lately, no breakthrough lately, Maybe it's actual distance. Maybe, maybe you're a part of the online community and, and you, you, you're, you're able to, to resource yourself through this, this tool online, which is a, a great gift. But God's heart is that you would be able to be gathered around some other brothers and sisters and find him in the midst of his people. Maybe you come in and out every single week and your time with the Lord is good. But, but you haven't found your people amongst the crowd yet. You're surrounded by people, but you still feel kind of alone. That can drain hope and feel lonely despite the fact that a whole bunch of people are around you. Maybe it is discouraging words that have been spoken over you and to you. Maybe they're words that are from a long time ago. Maybe they're words that you've got in your own head toward yourself, your own thoughts, and that continues just to, spring a leak in, in your hope. 
Maybe it's painful memories. Maybe it's the way things used to be and they're not that way anymore and that's bumming you out. Maybe, maybe it, you look back and it's a memory of something that was really icky in your past. And for some reason, the enemy keeps pulling it along with you, keeps bringing it into your presence, whispering, it's always gonna be this way. And that sort of place for us to get stuck, I mean, no wonder that hope is lacking in those particular moments and seasons. And the psalmist is in that spot. But the psalmist does something really interesting here. In the face of kind of the despair, hope, scales, where is the psalmist? The psalmist has had a handful of things end up on the despair side. And there is a casting, there's a leaning, there's, there's, there's a weight to what the psalmist is experiencing in their soul. And that's the way it can go. But too long this way for me and you will have really catastrophic effects. But I love, I love, I love where the psalmist goes from here. It's instructive, it's helpful for me and you. Look at verse five. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? The, the psalmist takes a moment here to, to question themselves about why they're feeling. What is triggering this? What are the reasons for me feeling this way? They're trying to self-diagnose some of the hurt, some of the sadness, the, the feelings that they've got, the, the, the weight that is on their soul. Why? Why is it there? And that's okay. That's important for you to question. But I would encourage you to question it with a specific purpose. Look at what he said. Why so disturbed within me? Then look, put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. The, the psalmist didn't just surrender to their feelings. The psalmist challenges those feelings and then brings them to God. And I think you and I can do the same thing. Rather than surrendering to the feelings of despair, we can challenge those feelings. We can challenge those thoughts with the hope that God can bring. The New Testament talks about taking every thought and making it obedient to Christ. That, that we have control over our thought lives, but to be intentional about that and rather than just let it spool up and continue to suck us downward, that we would do something really key. And this is what I would encourage you to do. Let's try to get better at this, okay? Let's get better at preaching hope to yourself, you can preach hope to yourself. God knows there's a whole bunch of other things or people that are preaching to you constantly. The culture's preaching to you, friends are preaching to you, media's preaching to you, government's preaching to you. Every time you open your phone, it's preaching to you. There is a ton of stuff preaching to you. 
but you can preach the truth to yourself, the truth of the hope from God's word, and God's word is the best preacher. God's word is the source of truth and life rather than the source of a whole bunch of icky things that the enemy uses to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy just wants that so badly to steal joy and steal hope and kill any sense of a future, kill relationships, destroy legacy. That's what the enemy wants. But in contrast to that, God's saying, okay, I'm gonna have the truth of my hope come to bear on the lies of the enemy but we've got to preach it to ourselves. We've got to preach hope to ourselves and get better and better at that. I don't know if we've really defined specifically hope in these last several weeks. And we, we, we kind of have in, in some way, shape or form as each week has gone on because hope at face value can feel kind of like um, a willy nilly, like wishing. I wish, I hope stuff will get better. But biblically speaking, a good biblical definition, if you go do the work and you compile all that God has to say in his word about hope, a good biblical definition of hope is confident expectation. That's how God would define hope. So that when you say, yes, I put my hope in God, Yes, I am hopeful in a biblical sense. You're saying, I'm confidently expectant. I'm expecting and I'm expecting confidently that God is who he said he is, that he's gonna do what he said he's gonna do. It's not just wishing, it's not willy-nilly, it's fully expectant with confidence. It's that sort of hope. Are there reasons for despair in your life? Yeah. But are there, are there reasons for hope? You bet. There's always some reasons for hope. And when you look to them and then you discover them and then you preach them to yourself, you, you renew your mind and you allow them to refresh your heart and your spirit, then it, it brings some balance back. Yes, the despair is there, but there is always reason for hope. Sometimes it is the both and. They run parallel. There's the despair and there's the hope. It's, it's just like a country song, you know? My truck broke down and the dog died and my wife drowned in the pond or whatever, you know? That's sad. That's worth lamenting. You would despair. But then like you can get a new truck and you can get a new dog and you probably get a new wife. I don't, you know, I'm just, no, I'm just joking. We needed to laugh for a second because the rest gets even more intense than this. So, but the balance, God's got more than just balancing out the challenges. He's got more than that for me and you. And I love that where he goes next. Look at verse six. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the Jordan River, 
the heights of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. This is beautiful. This is very artistic, beautiful poetry that communicates an amazing amount of truth that I think is so important and key for me and you. The soul is downcast, therefore, therefore, the psalmist is gonna put their hope in God, therefore, the psalmist is going to challenge the feelings and the thoughts, therefore, the psalmist is going to remember who God is and what he's done, and he begins to reflect on the promised land and reflect on the Jordan River and reflect on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is way up in the northern part of Israel, uh, just below um, the, the border of Lebanon and Syria. And the peaks of Mount Hermon are about 9,000 feet in elevation. And actually the beginnings, the, source, the sources of the Jordan River find their origin up near Mount Hermon and then make their way down through the country of the nation of Israel. And so the, the psalmist is turning, turning their attention to the, the highest of heights and to the origins, the source of life-giving water for the whole country. And then out of that, this imagery begins to, to hit the psalmist as deep calls to deep. And that, that, that picture of deep calling to deep, I think is a beautiful reminder that, that the, the deep things of God can bring some hope to the deepest parts of you. The deep things of God. And it makes me just wonder, like, how many of us are aware of, engaged in, pursuing, the, the deeper things of God, the depth of the intricacies of the word and the deep things of the character and nature of God in the most complex of situations, how we allow time to, to process the deep things of our hearts and our souls because the overwhelming temptation for most of us human beings, even as Christians, is to get so preoccupied with the day-to-day, -day, so stuck in the shallows, so concerned with the comfort, and I got the finance trouble, and I got this fight with this person, I got the conflict over here, and I got the work issue, and I don't know what I'm gonna do with the house, and the grandkids, and the, the parents, and the, that's, that's, that's all real, that's day-to-day, -day. that's legitimate stuff, I get that. But the enemy would just love for us to get completely consumed only in the shallows of the day-to-day -day where people of God, if you've got a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, 
We are a people who are not primarily about our comfort. We're not primarily about the here and now. We are not a people who are primarily about the day to day. We are a people, a kingdom people, who are meant to be about something much bigger than our day to day, much broader than our circumstances, so much more about the spiritual realm than just what we see and feel and experience with our day to day. I'm not minimizing what you do experience and the circumstantial stuff because that's where we live. But I'm saying to find the hope in God is to allow him to grab our chin and lift up our gaze to higher things and bigger things and better things. Your life if you're a Christian, was swallowed up into his life. Your life is not just about your story, but yours has been swallowed up into a much bigger story. And there's a spiritual battle that's going on for you in ways that we can't always see and experience and touch, even understand. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's not against the wife or the friend or the job. It's not against the bank account. There's an enemy that wants you to think that it's about all those things, but that's not what this is about. And your hope is not going to come from the bank account, the almighty dollar. The hope is not gonna come from him or from her. The hope isn't going to come from the job. The, the hope is gonna come from God. The hope is gonna come from awakening to the much bigger thing that is going on, the, the spiritual world and the God who runs it. You were created by him and for him. That's where our hope is. It's the deeper things. I started to do a little bit more study the last couple of weeks on hope, and I tried to find as many verses in the Bible about hope. There's a bunch that just link to hope in God for good reason. But then I started to look for verses that said to hope in something else. Look for your hope in, and then the blank after that was something like different than just God. I was looking for something a little more tangible. Is there an event that I hope in? Is there um, some particular experience that I hope in? Um, is there something that you've done or will do that I can hope in? Is there something I hold on to that I can hope in? It's all God ordained, it's all ushered in by God, but I, I was just looking for a fuller expression of biblical hope. And um, I guess I was hoping if I shared a handful of the ones that I found, that that would bring some hope to you, that, that you could really lean into. But I also tell you this, these things that the word called us to hope in, these hope in blank verses, most of them were like deeper things. Most of them were real big picture things. And then, and then it just hit me, that, that's, that's where my hope should be. I know we're just all hoping that somebody would give us a hundred grand and that the pain would go away 
and circumstances would change. This side of heaven, we got a lot of this, the despair. But there's hope on a macro scale, and that's really good news. And, and so here, here's a few. Because of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the person of Jesus, we have hope of or confident expectation of knowing we are saved from sin and death and separation from God. We, we have confident expectation of that. We've got confident expectation that we have been made righteous by God, not because of anything that we did. We've got confident expectation that we're now friends of God. He made that possible, and then he's declared that about us. We, we should have confidence in that. We should be expectant of that. Do you know how much hope should spring from knowing who you really are? All the despair that comes from believing what you think about yourself, what you feel about yourself, what other people have said about you, what your past might say about you, which is not all the truth. It's not the whole story. The whole story is what is true is what your God, your maker, your creator has said about you and then what he's done for you. And when you put your faith in him, then he saved you. He rescued you from sin. He's rescued you from being separated from him forever. You'll never be separated from your God forever. I hope that brings some hope to you. Well, yeah, but I, I still don't have any money in my bank account. Okay, I get that. And the challenges and difficulties that that would bring on a day-to-day -day basis is real stress. But I can tell you what's worse than being bankrupt is being spiritually bankrupt. What's worse than not having any money is not having a relationship with God. What's worse than going through some relational tension is having tension with your God. And Jesus came to take away all of that. And Christians, if you got a relationship with him, then you have hope that the relationship that matters most, he made a way to make possible and it's never going away from you. There's a lot of hope in that. Amen. If you don't have a relationship with God, then he's made everything possible so that you can have an eternal relationship with your maker. I hope there's some confidence in knowing who you are. I hope there's confidence in knowing whose you are. You're his kid. He's got you. Okay, one of them didn't do it for you, I guess. So two, here's another. I'll try again, I'll try again. Because of Jesus, we have confident expectation. We've got hope of being eternally part of restored creation with restored bodies. Whew. Okay, I got a couple of you, the, the, the seniors just spoke up. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> restored bodies, can't wait for that. I can't wait for that because my body, it's not the best thing about me. I look like Howie Mandel and Voldemort had a baby. This is not the best. I can't wait to get out of this tent and move on to something a little bit more glorious than what I currently uh, am wearing. 
But for those of you that are in the middle of real aches, real pains, battling real disease, God can do a miracle. He can bring healing and help now. But we also know he is for sure going to someday when you're in his presence. And you don't have to wrestle with this stuff anymore. Your body will be restored. There were so many verses to say, find your hope in the truth that God's gonna redeem all of creation. That this isn't all that there is. This world isn't all that there is. This current time frame isn't all that there is, but there's something so much better coming. He's gone to prepare a place for those who love him. We can't even begin to comprehend it. But whatever is good right now in life, and there's plenty good right now, whatever's good right now would have been better in Eden before sin entered the world, but will be best in heaven. And we can find hope in that. You have a good meal, a good conversation, you laugh so hard that it's really good, a good friendship, a good spouse, a good whatever. You take that goodness here and now, you put it back in the garden before sin and it would have been, whoa, way better. You take whatever that was like, multiply that times a gazillion and maybe we're starting to get a glimpse of what heaven's gonna be like. And so the word calls us to hope that this place is not our home We're just journeying through. I'm glad. There's a lot about this that I like here. There's a lot that I don't. This isn't all that there is. Because of Jesus, we can be confident, expectant that his promises are true. Psalm 119 says that I I hope in your word, Lord. I hope in your word, Pastor John says that all the time, that the word of God is our guide. This is what what we use to have a sense of what is true and what isn't. It's our guide to tell us where to go or where not to go. It's our guide to understand the character and nature of God, the entire narrative of history. It's our guide to understanding ourselves on our best day and ourselves on our worst day. And because we can hope in it, We know that whatever God says in here is going to come to pass. It's trustworthy. Whatever is in his word is never gonna lead you astray. That's why you can hope in it. It's already made sense of a whole bunch of things that have already happened. And then a whole bunch of stuff that we're dealing with now, it can help you make sense of. And then the stuff that has not yet happened, it's already spoken into the future. There's a bunch of hope in his word. Because of Jesus, we can be expectant and confident that his second coming is gonna be the thing that transforms the world. There were verses that spoke in to us needing to have hope in the return of Christ. Hmm. I don't think about that very often. But when I do, you know what's really encouraging? Is he already came once. That makes me more hopeful that he's gonna come a second time like he promised he would. Because in the Old Testament, there were a bunch of prophecies and predictions that a Messiah, a savior was going to come. And there were these predictions about the manner of his coming and where he was gonna come from and the timing of his coming. And then 
a Messiah, Jesus Christ came and fulfilled all of those prophecies, showed up the first time. Now we're on the other side of the earthly ministry of Jesus, knowing he's already come once and he's promised that he's gonna come again. Well, I can be confident that he is because he already did what he said he was gonna do the first time. So I know he's gonna come back again. And when he does, scripture says that that'll be really the kingdom coming at a whole different level than we are experiencing right now. It's gonna usher in a whole new like epoch of history that'll be so transformational. So historically, you guys, if, if, if you're thinking that there's really not much point for you being here or why am I alive at this particular moment in history, you're actually in a very pivotal part of history where God's plan to reach the world with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ is mobilized through you and me, through the church, through the people of God. There'll come a day when Jesus comes back where it's time up, game over, and there's a different set of things that are gonna happen. But until then, yeah, I know you don't have money in the bank account. I know you've got the struggles and I know you've got the hardships, but you're a part of a very important moment in history where God is doing some phenomenal work in you and also through you. And then it's leading towards something. And Matthew 24 says nobody knows about the hour when he's gonna come back. It'll be like a thief in the night. And so we live each day like he's coming tomorrow. We live today like tomorrow's our last. And I've got hope that when he comes, then all the stuff that I'm really looking forward to is gonna come. Lastly, I found a bunch of verses that said hope in his love, hope in his love. And that, that's so big. Because of Jesus, we can have confident expectation that his love is ever present. And I know wholeheartedly, firsthand, that um, when affliction hits, when trials are really heavy, the weight of what you're dealing with in the day-to-day -day is really heavy. One of the first things that you and I doubt is God's love. It's just part of the human condition. A lot of you have matured past that, but until then, there's this constant thing of something bad's happening to me. God, if you really loved me, then you wouldn't allow this. You wouldn't be doing this to me. I, I understand that. When I was younger and lost my dad real sudden to a heart attack, he was 48, those thoughts doubting God's love went through my head. And the amount of loss over and over and over again, I, I get it. But his love is like beyond measure. And what he's already done to prove like the full extent of his love to me and you, it's, it's incomprehensible. We've talked about this before, but it's like this. If, if this were a big courtroom and, and you just got arrested for committing a crime, let's say you murdered somebody and they caught you, they've now brought you in, you've confessed to the crime and they bring you into the courtroom and I'm the judge and you're right here before me. 
I would look at you and I'd say, you've committed this crime of murder and it has to be punished. I'm a good judge, I'm a fair judge, and justice has to be served. We can't just look at all this junk that's going on and just be like, oh, whatever, it's no big deal. Justice has to be served. And so as a good judge, a fair judge, I have to look at you and I say, unfortunately, committing that crime of murder, you took a life, that has to be punished. Now, a life has to be taken so that justice can be served. But I love you and I care for you. So um, here's what we're gonna do. I turn to an officer in the courtroom and I say, uh, go get my son. My son Brody comes in. Brody comes up, we have a little bit of a conversation together and then Brody goes, yeah, dad. I totally, wholeheartedly volunteer for that. You didn't catch much of the whispers that we shared, so you don't really know what's going on. I turned back to you and I said, you're guilty of this crime. I'm a good judge and fair judge. It has to be punished. I love you and I care for you. So here's what we're gonna do. My son has volunteered to take your punishment. And they walk Brody out and they execute him for your crime, justice has been served. You're free to go. Guys, that's the exact same thing that Jesus has done for every single one of us. That type of love, I mean, it's, it's the greatest love that there is. Now, if I bumped into you on the street couple weeks later, you're out living your best life. And we bump into each other on the street and you come up and you go, hey, judge, you remember me? Yeah, I totally remember you. And we chit chat for a little bit and then you go, hey, I know this is a little out of context, but funny kind of bumping into you today, judge. Um, could, Could you lend me 50 bucks? And I go, oh man, you know what? I can't. I can't explain why, but I can't. And then you looked at me and you went, oh, you must not love me then. Because I've done that way too much to the Lord. We've probably all done that at some point in our journey. If that happened in real life, I'd smack that person upside the head. I mean, like, what are you talking about? Don't you remember what I just did for you a couple weeks ago? I gave my son for you. Like, he voluntarily took that punishment for you. You shouldn't need to question my love. And just because I can't explain why I'm not going to give you the 50 bucks right now, you think I don't love you? If you're ever in doubt of his love, you just go back to the cross. You go take a long, hard look at Jesus there. And y'all have a hard time doubting his love for you. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. You can hope that his love for you is going nowhere. You didn't do anything to earn it. You're not gonna do anything that he's gonna take it away from you. His love is ever present and you should find some real hope in that. And so all I'm saying is, yeah, I get the despair side can pile up, but in light of things like this, the hope 
in God is a total trump card to the despair that you and I find in our day-to-day circumstances. But this is the deeper things. These are the bigger things. This is the spiritual things. This is a broader picture than just our day-to-day trials and issues. We've got to preach this to ourselves. You've got to preach it to yourself. It might need to be multiple times a day. I'll be totally honest with you, this has been probably two, three weeks where this is a, I have to preach this to myself two, three, four, five times a day. I don't know what it is when John and I do a series, we both have experienced it. God allows us to experience the icky part of whatever it is we're trying to address in the series. And I can't stand it. And I'm simultaneously thankful for it. It's a burden I'll gladly carry, but I've been more sad and down and depressed for no legitimate reason that I can come up with. Physiological, spiritual, I don't know, but it's been crushing. And I'm having to multiple times a day go, it's not about this, it's not about me. There's a bigger picture thing going on spiritual battle-wise, but there's also a bigger spiritual battle going on And our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords can trounce any of the junk that the enemy's doing. And it's always gonna turn out that way. That gives me and you cause for hope. So we've gotta do what the scripture calls us to do. So many times in the Bible it says this, remember and do not forget. Some version of this, remember, some version of do not forget appears hundreds of times in the scriptures. Because why? Because we're prone to forget. And in the Old Testament, they they would create these festivals and celebrations to commemorate or memorialize some powerful moment where God had provided or rescued them somehow. And then every year that those things would come back around, they would remember what God had done and that that would infuse them with more hope. Or sometimes they'd build a memorial. They'd build like pile of rocks or a different sort of memorial to commemorate something that God did in that particular location. And then like 25 years later, you'd be walking by with your kids and and the little daughter or little son would go, daddy, mommy, why is that there? And they would say, this is the exact spot where God, dot, 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 dot. This is the place where God rescued us from, dot, 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 dot. And we need to build in some of the same things. You wanna preach hope to yourself, do these three things. Number one, write down specifics of God's provision for you. Write them down. Write them in your phone, get out note cards, write them in some sort of journal. Write down moments where you know God provided for you. Write about your testimony. Write about when he rescued you and he saved you, when Jesus became real to you. Write it down if you haven't done that already. Write about moments where he saved you, rescued you from this set of circumstances or that set of circumstances. Write down moments where he provided the right person at the right time or the money showed up right when it needed to or a job opportunity came or whatever. You're gonna have a few. If you're having trouble coming up with any right now, then just stop and think about the grace that God's given you. Stop and think about any time, any time, where you got something that you didn't deserve. 
like air. And know that God gave you that breath because he wanted you to have it. If you look hard enough, you'll find stuff for your list where God's provided. Then, number two, make a memorial of it somehow. Write a song about it. Paint a picture about it. Take a picture that'll help you think about it. Build something in your backyard. Publish the stories of provision for you and leave them on the coffee. I I don't know what it is, but, but make a memorial of it. And then third, revisit it often. Take a weekly walk out into the backyard to look out at the thing that you built or do your devotions every day underneath the picture that you hang on the wall that memorialize all the times that God provided for you. Sing the song out loud every single day that you wrote to memorialize it. And and God will use those things to remind you that there's more to life than just our day-to-day, especially our day-to-day trials. There are some bigger things going on. There are some better things going on. And that is where our ultimate hope lies. Let's not forget it. I would love just to close us out in prayer And I would like to pray these scriptures for you or over you. Sometimes praying the word of God is a powerful tool. The verses come out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, and they'll be up on the screen. But I'd like to pray these, make these a prayer. And so I'm going to be praying them and kind of paraphrasing them based on what you see there because I think this is God's heart for us and a good prayer. I know for me, and I'm praying for you. I I love you guys so much. So gracious heavenly father, we do not lose heart. Even though there's a bunch of stuff in our life that makes us wanna lose heart. They are circumstantial things, they are temporary things. They are real things, but the enemy uses them to discourage us. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. We thank you, God, for that. We thank you that even though we're hard-pressed on every side, we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed. We thank you for that. Keep renewing us, mind, body, soul, and spirit. For our light and momentary troubles, even those that don't feel light and maybe aren't so momentary, in the grand scheme, the scheme of eternity they are, but all the hardships and troubles we're facing, they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Help us find hope in that. So God, we've got downcast souls. When our eyes get focused downward, we're praying that we would fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
So Father, we ask that you would take the big picture, higher picture, deep things of eternity, the deep things of you and our salvation, what you've done with our past, what you're gonna do in the future, and help those fill up our hope bucket on a day-to-day basis. Help us get better at preaching that hope to ourselves. And walk with every single one of my friends. Carry them, if need be, through these days while we continue to look to you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.